We're combining all the best old school wisdom with all the top new school methods to bring you the optimal way to coach and play the great game of baseball. This is the 80-20 Baseball Masterclass with Coach Bo. Welcome, everybody. This is Coach Bo. Thank you for being here. The 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Today, in episode 63, a crazy story involving a very well known Major League Baseball player and how he was scouted and how he was found and then drafted. Crazy story. And this player just made the news with a big contract extension. And actually, with that same team in mind, I'm going to discuss what the minor league hitting coordinator said about the hitting approach when I listened to him in an interview recently, and I'm going to share with you what this minor league hitting coordinator said specific about the approach and what we can learn from that. We are also going to discuss a great book called Above the Line. Urban Meyer and Wayne Coffey wrote this book, and I'm going to share with you a short, just two-sentence, two-liner that is super, super valuable when it comes to having the right mindset as a coach, and we're going to learn from that so we can be better coaches and, for that matter, better people. And I'm going to share with you some strategies, specific strategies for picking a team, for choosing the players on your team. I know that the strategy might play out differently for every coach because at every level in different areas in different leagues, there's different onboarding process, whether that's a league-wide tryout or you're a travel ball organization that's bringing on players or a high school where you're having a tryout. With all that said, the strategy can be used by any coach when picking players. It just may take a different shape and we'll get into that. For those of you that are new to the podcast and haven't really gotten introduced to why the podcast is the 80-20 Baseball Masterclass, 80-20 Baseball Experience, 80-20 Baseball Podcast, the last part's neither here nor there, but the 80-20 Baseball, the 80-20 has a lot of significance because it is founded in the 80-20 principle, the 80-20 rule. Now in baseball, the 20-80 scale, the 20-80 player evaluation, player scouting scale is super popular and has been around forever, but the 80 20 baseball that I use for the podcast, the significance is founded in the 80-20 principle. And I highly recommend if you haven't already, go immerse yourself in how the 80-20 principle works, but more importantly, the mindset, the 80-20 mindset that you can use in everything in life. You're looking for the big needle movers first, and you're doubling and tripling down on the big needle movers and not getting too caught up in the things that are a little bit more inconsequential, or as the rule shows or says, the vital few versus the trivial many. Focus on those vital few things that are going to move the needle. When I say move the needle, most of you know what I'm talking about. It's going to make a bigger difference. It's going to make a big difference or a massive difference or a substantial difference when it comes to getting results. Whether that's in your everyday life, your personal life, in your business, the 80-20 principle is what I think is so great about it is that you can use it in everything you do and it will make your life so much better if you have that mindset. Again, we've talked about this a lot of times, the 80-20 ratio, the 80 20, 80%, 20% doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be an exact ratio, but it's the mindset, the idea that 20% of the things you do as a coach, 20% of the things that you can do as a parent, 20% of the things that you can do, or 20% of the things that you could do on your to-do list as a business owner or as an employee are going to lead to approximately 80% of your results. 20% leads to 80%. It's not an exact science, but the idea is that there are certain things that you can do in your life and all 
all areas of your life that are going to have a lot more return on your investment, return on time, as I like to say, ROT, return on time. A specific example in baseball, just there's many examples, but one that is not a big return on investment, practicing rundown or pickle defense or pickle offense. This is something that I know coaches spend more time than is needed, where I would be taking that time and using it towards fielding ground balls, building up accurate throws, a better hitting approach, better at bats, better pitchers, throwing strikes. The point being is a rundown, a pickle is not going to happen or ha- that often compared to all those other events that I just listed previously. And it's definitely not going to have a huge impact on the course of your season. And then you could even get into team culture, which is even bigger than probably everything. So then you break down each of those subcategories of things that you can train in baseball, hitting, pitching. Those are definitely at the very, very top. Team culture. Those three things are massive. Fielding ground balls, throwing accuracy from your fielders. I think catching fly balls is not nearly as big a deal as fielding ground balls. Now, I understand in the game, it's very important to catch fly balls, right? We don't want to drop them. But my thing is, I think fielding ground balls takes more training in a team environment, more training from a coach to kind of force it. Also hitting it off of fungal players, I think over the years, develop better fly ball skills just out on the playground with their friends and things like that and on their own and from other sports than they do ground ball skills. But not to get into the weeds on this too much, the 80-20 principle, the 80-20 baseball name was picked because I really believe there's a huge advantage, competitive advantage out there and also just a much better way to live your life. If you have the mindset, is this a big deal? Is this something that's going to move the needle? Now, that doesn't mean we don't pay attention to the details. We just make sure that we allocate time appropriately and prioritize what are the things that are the most important. If you look at your practice plan and your practice is, say, two hours and you spread everything out or you allocate time equally to all things, well, that's a huge red flag that you're not doing it the way it should be done because when you get out to a game, things don't play out at those same ratios, those equal ratios. They just don't. Pitching is going to be at the top. Hitting is going to be at the top. Those are two events that happen on every single pitch. Then you have ground balls happen about two to one ratio versus fly balls. Now that's shifting a little bit as more hitting coaches are teaching a little bit more of a launch angle. And I'm a fan of the launch angle, not pop-ups, but more of a drive of the ball, get it over the infielder's head. And that's going to change that ratio. But to me, it's not enough where the ground balls are more of a priority. Base running is a priority, but then we got to remember that for every time a player is in the batter's box hitting or has an at bat, they will be on base fewer times than they are in the batter's box. Even the best hitters of all time are maybe at a 50% of the time do they get on base. So you can use these ratios that actually play out in the game to guide your practice. And you know, you could do the same thing for life, right? You could look at it in your business. I think all the successful businesses run like this. I mean, I teach, I teach full time. I'm a coordinator teacher and I run a group of teachers and I run the group and I have to stop the group every once in a while. We got some all-stars in this group that I work with and some all-star minds and the diversity of the thoughts is awesome and, and really just bringing some fantastic ideas. But the only thing I told myself at the beginning of the year when I took over this team and I was going to lead it, my thing was I am going to make sure that we stay focused on the big needle movers. And as I've seen over the 15 years I've been in the classroom as a teacher and I've been coaching longer than this and I've seen it definitely out there on the field and that's why I'm bringing it up here. But a specific example of how this just happened just recently in a meeting, there was about six good ideas that we could have moved forward with as a team to help out the students that we were working with and the school. But I had to stop everybody and say, hey, these are great ideas, but we're not just going to jump on each one and go and run with it. We are going to stick to these one or two here at the top that are going to move the needle the most. And then we'll put those on others on the back burner. We'll put the others, the other ideas, I should say, on the back burner. And it wasn't that we were forgetting about them, but you have to keep a priority. There's so many things that as I see this with pitchers, they want to have all these pitches and pitching coaches want to teach all these different pitches to their pitchers before prof- 
perfecting their fastball command before perfecting one breaking ball. I can't tell you how many pitchers I've worked with that want to get a second breaking ball. They want to add a slider to their curveball or a curveball to their slider, and the first one's not that good in the first place. So they need to perfect one breaking ball before they get caught up in all these other things. Point is, the 80-20 baseball idea, the 80-20 baseball has a lot of significance in terms of prioritizing and valuing inputs differently based on how they're going to play out in the game and how they're going to affect your team, especially like team culture. So there's definitely episodes that I break that down and I would highly recommend you read the 80-20 principle by Richard Koch. It's spelled like Coke, K-O-C-H, not Coke like the soda, but like Coke. I think it's a lot of people say it like Coke, but it's Koch, K-O-C-H. I think of it more as a mindset, the 80-20, not all of our inputs, not all of our actions have the same output, or in other words, they don't lead to the same amount of output and the same amount of results, and they definitely don't move the needle equally, so it's very important to look at. So basically, how I started it all, to kind of in a nutshell, is breaking it down as I go, what happens in a game the most, and let's practice that the most, pitches and hitting, easily number one, those happen as much as any. So I do get emails from coaches from time to time that'll ask me for a specific this or a specific that. I really believe in operating system changes. You're going to rely more on the operating system on anything in life than you are on, say, like these apps for your phone. The operating system is much more valuable. And so I think we need to upgrade and fix our operating systems as coaches. So that's really kind of where I'm coming from with this podcast. A perfect example of that is the drill mastery guide. I shared that out episodes ago, a couple months ago, we broke it down into the eight parts that make a great drill or a perfect drill or the optimal drill. Notice in that I didn't really get into the weeds with this drill or that drill. I have shared drills. If you want to email me, I do have specific drills for certain things. But I think as a coach, your environment, your situation, your team is going to be unique. Your equipment, what you have available is going to be unique to you. So instead of me just cookie cutter approaching it and giving you a specific drill, I want to teach you. I wanted to give you and share with you exactly what the recipe is that makes a good drill, a great drill, an optimal drill, or the opportunity, I should say, to build perfect drills. So I shared with you those so you can go out there and put it together how it fits your team the best. So we worked on the operating system. I didn't just hand you a bunch of apps. I do think there's a time and place for the apps, but I think as a coach, if you have the right operating system, then everything just unfolds and you just see everything so clearly, then you can run with it and take off and be so much better than you would ever have hoped for. So the 80-20 baseball name does have a lot of significance, but it's not the only thing that we focus on that we try to differentiate ourselves from other avenues of information, but it is definitely at the top of the list. Before I get to this crazy, unbelievable story, and I don't really get surprised by very many things. I think I've just always kind of been, you know, you get to 40 and you get a little older and you just realize that uh, once you think you have it figured out or once you think you've seen it all, you haven't. So I think good mindset to have is, well, I don't know what I'm going to see today, but who knows? And don't be shocked by anything you see. Don't be surprised by anything that comes your way in life. So this story is pretty awesome. And I'll get to that now. First, in that same organization, the minor league hitting coordinator for the Phillies, Jason and O-Chart recently stated he's had a lot of success with hitters and he recently said this about the hitting approach. The number one thing that the players that come to him during the season, now he's the hitting coordinator for the Philly, the minor league hitting coordinator for the Phillies. He said the number one thing that the players come to him for, that they come seek him out for and his coaching staff and his team of coaches, the number one thing that they come to seek and want to get from him information on is how to improve their hitting approach. Now let me preface that. Let me back 
back up a little. That's when during the season. During the season, the number one in-season thing that the players want to know and improve is their hitting approach. They want to know what the data, they want to know what the data is saying in regards to them swinging at good pitches or not swinging at good pitches and also what pitches they are doing damage on. So you're talking professional hitters. Number one thing that they are asking and requesting information on is how good is their hitting approach. We've talked about it at length here and we are going to discuss it till the cows come home. Coach, the hitting approach. You, Most of you who are, work, are not working with professional players. Now, some of you are, but most of you are not working with professional players. You need to focus on that hitting approach and keep coaching it up. Tell the players, are they swinging at good pitches or are they not? Give them instant feedback. Hey, bad pitch to swing at. Hey, that's a pitch to swing at. Even if they don't do something with it very well, maybe they pop it up or foul it off. If they sung, swung at a pitch that's in their hit zone, their hot zone, their meatball zone, then let them know. If they're chasing a pitch with less than two strikes, that's not in their hitting zone. They're chasing a pitcher's pitch, let them know right away. And with two strikes, give them some feedback. All right, if they're swinging at pitches in the dirt, bouncing in the dirt, way up high, elevated, let them know. Not a pitch to swing at. Or if they swing at a pitch that's an inch or two off the plate, they don't hit it with two strikes. They don't get it, but they swung at it. You can say, hey, you got to swing at that pitch. That's good. Hey, you didn't get it that time, but your approach was right. So we can go on and on about that. But wanted to share with you what the Phillies minor league hitting coordinator is saying about what players in the professional game are seeking from him in his organization. The number one thing they're seeking is information on how well their hitting approach is coming along. In that same organization, the Phillies, a story that I recently heard, I read the book Future Value, which was a well-known baseball book that came out. I talked about that in previous episodes. And the story about JT Realmuto, that story about him getting drafted, and he just signed a five-year, like 105 or $115 million deal. I think one of the biggest off-season contracts, a $100 million plus contract. The guy is an absolute stud. The story about him getting drafted is crazy. First off, he He's on nobody's radar his senior year of high school. He's out in, I believe, Oklahoma. He's on nobody's, I shouldn't say he's on nobody's. He's not very, he's not really on any team's radar for the most part. Some teams are interested in him and some teams don't even have him on their list to draft. They don't even have him on their draft list. In other words, you have 50 rounds or I think there's about 50 rounds when he was drafted in 2010 and he wasn't even on the list for some teams to even draft. In fact, there really wasn't a lot of teams actually following him or watching him his senior year. So the Marlins scout at the time. I think it was one of the cross checkers. He lived like 20 minutes away from JT's high school in Oklahoma. And you can go look up the whole story. I'm sure there's probably a deeper dive into it, but I'm going to give it to you in a nutshell. And I'm going to tell you why it's important that we know this as parents, as coaches, and as youth coaches, high school coaches, even younger, just to kind of pass on this good information to players that are looking to play baseball at a higher level as they get older. And this goes for not just pro ball, but college and even high school. The scout from the Marlins gets a call from somebody who says, hey, this JT kid's going to be playing. He's 20 minutes away. The scout was familiar with the high school. And so he said it was a Monday. And so they usually don't scout on Mondays. Usually that was this scout's day off. And I'm not remembering his name, but you guys can go check it out. The scout's name that is. But what's important is kind of the summary of the story here and like kind of like what to take from it. So he goes over and he watches the game or he shows up to the game to watch JT play. And when he gets there, the head coach for JT's team comes over and says, who are you here to watch? And he said, I'm here to watch JT. And the coach says, hey, I'm really sorry. JT's not going to be playing shortstop today. He's I got him at catcher. It may be the only game he catches. I'm really sorry, but I just needed him to catch this game. You know, it was a Monday game. And he said, oh, that's cool. No worries. I'll watch him anyways. So there really wasn't a lot of buildup. It really, he, the scout just said, he goes, I, I didn't think anything was really going to come of it. So I watch him and he's catching and, and I'm seeing these movements that are kind of not polished and definitely not fluid. But he goes, I saw some stuff that was just phenomenal. I saw his arm strength and I said, this is well above average arm strength and just athleticism. Although he wasn't very polished and he needed some work as a catcher. And then 
JT got up there in his first at bat, he said he hit one. The scout says he hits a home run over the batter's eye in center field, some 400 plus feet away. So he goes, wow, he just launches a home run. And that really grabbed my attention. It was quite the hit, quite the drive. And then in his second at bat, the scout says he hits a ground ball. And I, I think if I remember right, the scout said he hits a ball in the, the five, six hole, the shortstop. And the scout clocks him on the stopwatch at a four point, like one nine, which is above the major league average for a right-handed hitter to get down to first base, basically from contact to touching the first base bag. He ran a time that would get him a 55 score on the scouts, 20 to 80 scoring system with 50 being the major league average. He's already above major league average. So he hits a bomb. He's playing well behind the plate in terms of what his potential could be. His arm stood out as being very strong and he looked athletic. So the scout is asking himself, is this is what I'm reading in the book, Future Value. And the scout is saying, I, I, I just seems like there's just too good to be true. This guy is super fast. He's got power. He's playing catcher reasonably well and definitely projects to maybe play the position down the road. And nobody knows about this guy or very few people know about this guy. He's, he's not on a lot of people's radar. So as the scout continues to tell the story in the book, he said, well, at that time, I just said, this is too good to be true. This can't be. I've been doing this a long time. Everything checks out physically for this kid, JT. It's got to be something I'm missing. Well, the scout said that he knew the football coach at the high school well. So he went over to the football field and found the football coach. And he thought, this is probably where it's going to come out that there's something that he's missing. So he asked the football coach, he said, hey, coach, this JT kid, what do I need to know about this kid? What, what am I missing? What, what can you tell me about him? And the football coach said, you know what? I've been teaching and coaching here a long time. I've sent a lot of kids to high level division one football programs. I've worked with thousands of kids and JT is probably the best or if not one of the top I've ever had ever. And the scout's like, wait, 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 what? He said, the head coach told him he's a great kid. And the scout at this time is going, wait a second. This is just, this is too much. Wow. Okay. So everything checks out. And then he says, well, hey coach, I got this time, his home to first base time on the stopwatch. Is he really that fast? And the head coach for the football team says JT plays quarterback. And sometimes they run plays where he's going to run around the edge. He takes the ball and keeps it and it runs the edge. And the coach said to the scout at the time, he said, you know what? We play inner city schools. And when JT turns the corner, even against those with really good athletes, really good speed, even against those teams, when he turns the corner, he's gone and nobody's catching him. And I'll tell you what, when I hear all this and having been around the game so long, this is just fascinating to me. You got a guy who can hit the ball for power. He can run at elite high school speed and above average major league speed already. He projects a little bit as a catcher with a really strong arm. All the coaches are vouching for him that know him. They're vouching for his character. And so this scout, the story ends up, he goes to the draft a few months later and they selected him, I believe, in the third round. And the scout said he received calls from other scouts he knew that said they did not even have JT, Real Mood on their draft board list. Like he wasn't even on the list to draft at all. Not in round three and not even in round 49. And some of the scouts that did call him, a few that he talked to said that they were looking to draft him, but nowhere near that high. Well, they might've drafted him a little earlier than they had to, but they got him. And man, oh man, did they get a stud. Now, how can we learn from this when we're coaching youth players, high school players, and even college players? For years and years, I was told and in the inner baseball circle, it was kind of discussed and it was, 
is kind of spread around that, hey, if you're good enough, they'll find you. If you're good enough, they'll find you. And in most cases, this is true. If you're good enough to play college ball, they'll find you. But players, parents of players, you got to put yourself out there. It's like having a wonderful product. You could have a life changing, a business, industry, niche changing product. But if you don't put it out there, if you don't market it, nobody will ever know about it. And I know that the baseball scouts and the colleges that also recruit kind of scout in another way, they do an excellent job overall of finding the talent, finding the players that are good, good kids, good character, and high level athleticism and performers. But that's not your job as a parent or as a coach, a youth coach, even a high school coach. You have to put your name out there. I remember my high school baseball coach, Coach Curran, Hall of Fame baseball coach. He came out. He seeked me out. He came out to the football field my senior year. I was out there during double days. I played football and he came out and said, hey, Bo, I'm going to call some colleges for you just to make sure that everybody can get you on their radar just to make sure people know what are your top five schools. And so I told him my top five schools and those coaches, he vouched for me, he reached out. So that's a little example of just reaching out, putting your name out there now, going to all these showcases and paying a bunch of money to go to showcases. Be careful with that. Be careful with that. If you got to pay a bunch of money to get seen, be careful with that. But put together a good video, put together some stats, put together some data from some, maybe there's a place or somewhere you could drive to, somewhere within your region, your area, your city, where you could go get some good statistics on it. Rap Soto or even on a hit tracks or um, a pitch FX machine. There's technology out there that you can go if you're like in high school or even in college that you can go and get this stuff and put it out there. Put it out there. It doesn't hurt. Don't be obnoxious with it. You don't have to spend a bunch of money. But if they miss JT Real Muto just 10 years ago in 2010, this wasn't prehistoric times. iPhones were around. iPads were just about around, if not around. Things were, technology was around. And they missed him that bad? A guy who's considered the best catcher, one of the top catchers in all of baseball? And they missed him just 10 years ago in 2010? He was in high school? And a lot of teams didn't even know who he was? I'm just saying, it doesn't happen very often. But you got to put yourself out there and don't be obnoxious with it. Remember, to respect coaches and scouts and play and the, the people you're sending it to if you're trying to, to send them your information your video be very cognizant of their time all right make it quick put a highlight put some stats quick synopsis something that's going to catch their attention now if you're not very good or you don't have much to offer then don't waste their time but i'm just sharing this with maybe some of you that think that you do have something that that you're not sure you just want to send it out put it out there be respectful of coaches' time, scouts' time, college coaches, and the professional game. Those They're super busy. Be respectful just like you guys are. You're busy with your business and your jobs. You don't want a bunch, you don't get inundated with a bunch of random stuff and excess, but put it out there. So that's my message, kind of sharing that. I know that's a little different than the actual coaching of a team and things like that, but I thought that was such a fascinating story that this guy, JT, this player, this kid who in 2010 was 20 minutes away from this scout's house, he just happened to go. It was a kind of the last, kind of a spur of the moment, goes to the game. He gets to the game. The head coach says, hey, I'm sorry. He's not even playing shortstop or infield or wherever he was playing. He's catching. I'm really sorry. And he turns out to just really just turn the scout's head. The scout goes, follows through, checks out, and everything checks out. I think he might be now the highest paid catcher in all of the world. So there you go. Just 10 years later or 11 years later. Now, I'm in the middle or just finishing up, I should say, pretty much done with a book called Above the Line by Urban Meyer and Wayne Coffey. When I say I get through these books, one of the best things that's happened to me are AirPods and audiobooks. AirPods and audiobooks. I never read a book just partially. I never skim a book. I listen with AirPods. I usually have an AirPod in when I'm not working. I typically have one in just in one ear. One of the reasons is I don't have to have my phone next to me. So if it rings, I can hear it. I can answer it just with the AirPod. My phone could be over on the counter. It could be on the table, on the, on the side table. It could be somewhere. It could be in another room. I use the AirPod and I just leave one in. And the best feature on the AirPod, I don't have the 
Pro. I just have the AirPod 2. Love them. Love them. There's nothing I like more technology than my AirPods. I put the AirPod in. I just put it in one ear, which is huge for me. I just like having it in one ear. And then I love the fact that I can double tap it. I set on the settings a double tap. I double tap and it allows me to pause and play, start and stop whatever I'm listening to, whether that's a podcast or an audiobook. A lot of times it's an audiobook because I feel audiobooks are more dense with information. My podcast, I try to design to give you a lot of information at one time, but most of the podcasts out there, interviews or they chit chat, you know, small talk and things like that. It's a lot of interview format. It kind of drags on long form. And I didn't want to do that with this podcast. I thought, how can I do something like a podcast, but more like an audiobook? And that's kind of behind the scenes with this podcast. But nonetheless, I love the idea of being able to tap on and double tap and it starts playing wherever I left off. It could be hours since I listened to it. It could be like three hours since I picked up or when I stopped listening to whatever. And I stop it throughout the day constantly. You know, when anytime somebody's around, or I'm talking or just sometimes I don't want it on. I'm, you know, I just want to have nice quiet time or whatever, or I'm working. So I just double tap it and it starts playing again. And it allows me throughout the day, you'll find yourself doing a lot of meaningless things, a lot of things here, a lot of things there. And you're like, oh, well, you don't want to get your phone out and then go to the thing and hit play. You don't want to like get your headphones on and set it all up. So I just double tap it. And I can listen to things when my wife's in the, maybe she's in the room or she's doing something else. She's on her phone or, you know, we're doing some work on her computer or something. I can just double tap the AirPod. I love the AirPods. I love them. That allows me to get through a lot of audiobooks, but not miss them and really be able to digest the information. So anyways, I'm reading this book, Urban Meyer, Above the Line. And the quote in there was, they asked him, one of his close confidants, name is Tom Kite, and he's a, kind of a psychological coach, kind of a mental coach, right? And he's one of Urban's friends and they asked him and they said, hey, Tom, what's the difference between old Urban and the newer Urban? And this was back in like early, you know, 2012, 2014-ish when, they, when he asked him this question. And Tom Kite said, when asked by a reporter, since coming to OSU, since coming to Ohio State, how has Urban changed? And Tom Kite's answer was, in the old days, Urban got furious. Now he gets curious. And I thought, wow, not only does it rhyme, right? It sounds like cat in the hat, green eggs and ham. But I'll tell you what, that says a lot there. In the old days, Urban got furious at his players. Urban got furious at his coaching staff. He got furious after games or after mistakes. Now he gets curious. Why did that happen? How can we solve that? So he gets proactive rather than reactive. And the book, really the biggest thing about the book is how do you fix, how do you improve your response to things? And I really think this book is a a must read. Again, like I said, I'm about two thirds of the way through it, give or take. It's a shorter audiobook. It's only about five hours long, and I'm say at hour three and a half. And this book really breaks down and it talks about Urban's way how he coaches his players to how they respond to things, how they react to things. Are they making excuses or are they not? Are they looking for solutions? Or are they looking for excuses and blame? And to dive in a little bit more with Urban Meyer and what he does, we've talked about systems on this book. And I'm telling you, I know some of you are like systems, yada 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 yada. Those of you that are in business, those of you that run a business, or those of you that understand the efficiency within business, you understand systems. You understand systems. But I'm telling you, systems are just as good and just as valuable when you coach. They're just as valuable in your day-to-day life, your personal life. Systems are not rigid. Systems should have pliability. They should inherently be adjustable. And that's the whole idea. You have a system, so you have something to anchor to to make your adjustments to rather than just randomly throwing stuff at the wall and not really sure what's moving the needle, what's not moving the needle. So anyways, Urban Meyer talks about systems. He actually has a system. He has a system that is used. 
and he's very high on the system. He implements a system with his team, with his program that implements leadership, that trains leadership. So he actually has a systematic approach, a defined written out system plan for putting leadership or increasing the leadership or improving the leadership within his program. He gives quizzes. He gives tests. He has activities. Here's what he said. This is this encapsulate Urban Meyer quote right from the horse's mouth. And Urban Meyer just signed a big contract with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Urban Meyer has won at every school, every stop. He won at Bowling Green. He won at Utah. He won at Florida. And he won at Ohio State. He's won at four different schools. When I'm looking at coaches to assess, I know there's probably more to Urban Meyer than I know, but I know when it comes to success on the field, I look for coaches that win over time. And it's a huge plus if they can win in different environments with different teams, different organizations, different programs, different schools. That tells me a lot about the validity of what they are doing. So this sums it up. Here's a quote straight from Urban Meyer. Listen closely. Listen, listen. He said, quote, average leaders have quotes. They have quotes. They share quotes with their team. Average leaders share quotes. They put things up in the weight room. They put things up in the locker room, quotes to kind of motivate and lead their team. He said, good leaders have a plan. Then he went on to say, great leaders have a system. Let me repeat that. Average leaders use quotes. Good leaders have a plan. Great leaders have a system. So everything you're doing in life, everything you're doing as a coach, good coaches have a plan. Great coaches have a system. Do you have a system? A system is defined, outlined, at least outlined or bulleted at a minimum. So I'm just trying to bring supportive evidence from the greatest coaches in the world and share with you some of these things. And I didn't go look up this system thing. I didn't even actually read this book because I've talked about systems on this podcast. I brought that up because it came up in the book and it kind of caught me off guard. Like, wow, I didn't realize he was that massive on systems. I believe in systems. I know they work across the board for everything, but it was pretty interesting that he had a system. Now, I know for youth coaches that are year to year, that's not as important. Although I think implementing minor, more acute systems, maybe pieces of systems in a given year is definitely important. If you're a high school coach listening to this and you do not have a system for everything that you do, written down, scripted out, at least at a minimum bulleted out, outlined, then you are failing in that regard. And that's a massive hindrance to your success. You need to have it defined. You need to have a system. You need to literally, what I mean by system is you could have another coach from across the country come to your school and run your practice, run your strategies during the game. They could run everything without you being there. You could literally hand them a notebook, a binder, send them some bunch of PDFs, folders. You could send them videos. You could send them stuff that has your system on it and they could run your practice. They could run your team. Now, they're not going to be exactly like you. They may definitely not going to have those relationships with your players like you've built up. But that part of building up relationships and trust is part of the system too. So I'm just saying you could bring them in for a weekend and they should be able to run your team exactly like you were running it. Same with like if you're a teacher, when a substitute teacher comes in, the easiest jobs for a substitute teacher to take are those that the teacher, the original teacher, the the teacher that's typically there has a system in place. It's on autopilot. It's on autopilot. So you come in and it's on autopilot. And when you go in as a sub and you have a class that's chaotic and things are here, things are there, there's no system in place. All right. You need to have a system in place outlined every step of the way. And there's variability in that. That's okay. And you're constantly improving. That's okay. That is what makes having a system so great is that you can easily adjust it with just a computer, your iPhone or a pen or a pencil. So Urban Meyer, one of the great coaches out there said, good coaches have a plan. Great coaches have a system. All right. My awesome 80-20 baseball listeners, coaches, you guys are awesome. Been getting some good feedback from you guys. And that is always greatly appreciated. 
always, thanks for reaching out, emailing me, CoachBo at 8020Baseball.com or on Twitter, 8020 underscore baseball. If you follow me on Twitter, it is only baseball related. And also, I only retweet stuff that is baseball related. Now, the first part of this episode went a little deeper. We covered some excellent stuff. We're at that 30-minute mark, and I want to cut it here. So with that said, next week, I am going to share with you some specific, actionable, clearly defined strategies to help you picking your team for this upcoming season or choosing players for this upcoming season, building your team. I'm going to give you some huge needle movers and how, when it, breaking down how to build your team, what players to look for first. Obviously, I, it's going to look a little different. It's going to come out. It's going to shake out different for everybody because every group or collection of kids and stuff is different and a little unique in and of itself, but I'm going to give you some parameters to follow that can help you build a much better team than otherwise. So next week, we're going to dive into that, how to put your team together, what players to pick first, what positions to pick first, how many of each position to pick first, what are the players you're looking for, the attributes you're looking first and foremost, and we're going to get a little bit away, obviously character and good quality kids, hustle kids, that's at the top of the list. If they're not on that, then they're gone, but then we're going to talk about skills and things like that, positions that I would pick and prioritize over others. So we're going to get into that next week, next Tuesday when the next episode comes out. Also, big shout out to those coaches of you. I see who you are supporting the show. Got some new supporters on here. Love that. That fires me up. That tells me that you value this program. You value this podcast. I'm bringing a new episode every Tuesday. I got Sam doing stuff on the back end with the editing. So I appreciate those coaches. I see who you are. I see your names supporting the podcast using that link in the show notes. Really appreciate it. Also, uh, Dr. Cosimo. Cosimo reaching out, starting to season up. He's been one of my original listeners, one of my original coaches out there. He's out there in Florida. Uh, I'll tell you what, that's one place I want to be right now. I'm loving Boise, but man, these winters, a little, I want to get out there. I heard Florida's wide open. Everything's going. My best friend went to Key West over winter break and he, he said, hey, everything's good down here. He said, everything's open. He's having a blast. The weather was great. So, uh, but big shout out to Cosimo out there and uh, one of my original listeners. And I'm getting great feedback, emails from coaches. Coaches hitting me up on Twitter, asking me great questions. So keep those coming. I love that stuff. And even I put out a video on Twitter. If you're not following me on Twitter, I only do baseball stuff. I only follow baseball. I only use Twitter for baseball. That's it. And I put out a video last week and it was called Pitching While Tall. So it was for tall pitchers. And I put together for a good friend of mine, Coach Smith. And I got feedback, actually direct feedback from one of my old coaches from back a long time ago. And my old coach is now really high up and a very well-respected and very intelligent, very wise, very smart baseball person. He's he's up there in a very prestigious baseball organization. He's done a fantastic job. I really respect him. He reached out and he said he liked the video, really uh, really thought it was some good stuff. So I am trying to put those out there, those good videos from time to time. I don't like putting out like one minute, two minute videos. I think sometimes those don't have the depth you need, but I'm not putting out one hour tutorials on one subject. I hit this one. It was about 13 minutes. I'm going to try to put out some of those videos that can really help you with certain areas because seeing it on video sometimes is a better option than on a podcast. So I like to bring various forms of video, articles, and podcasts to try to give you guys all this great information. So, all right, I'm getting a little long-winded here. I get so fired up to be here with you guys. I'm going to cut it off here, and uh, I'm going to get this sent over to my buddy Sam to edit it out, and uh, we'll put it, uh, publish it out. So, anyways, you guys have a wonderful week, and in the meantime, take care of yourself, take care of your health, take care of your families, and take this information, go out there, make the baseball community, the baseball world your team, those players you interact with, make it better for them. Make them better people, make them better players, and we'll see you on the flip side. Bye. This has been the 8020 Baseball Masterclass. Take it to the field.